Hey, podcast listeners, things might start to sound a little bit different here on The Colin and Samir Show, and that's because we have some exciting news to share. We just joined the LinkedIn Podcast Network. You may notice on our podcast art that it says LinkedIn Presents at the top. Now, there's a bunch of different reasons why we wanted to partner with LinkedIn to present this podcast, and we're going to talk about that more in our next episode. But one of the things that this allows us to do is bring more audio-exclusive episodes to the podcast feed, including this one. Today on the show, we're speaking with Nick Martell and Jack Kramer of the hit podcast, The Best One Yet. Some of you may know it as Snacks Daily. Nick and Jack met back in college in Middlebury, Vermont, and they became fast friends and eventually business partners. They launched a business newsletter called Market Snacks that eventually went on to be acquired by the stock trading app Robinhood. Both Colin and I have been huge fans of their show for years. We've been really inspired not only by how they've built their podcast, but also how they've built a true community with the show. They'll take really complex stories from the business world and make them very accessible and relatable. And that's something that Samir and I hope we do for all of you in the creator economy. Recently, Nick and Jack left Robinhood, but kept their podcast under a new name, The Best One Yet. And you'll find out why that's the name later on in this episode. After Nick and Jack went independent, they actually reached out to Colin and I to help them build a video version of their show on YouTube. So this episode is actually part of a two-part series with Nick and Jack. In this first episode, you'll hear about how they built their wildly successful newsletter and podcast. And in part two, you'll hear us troubleshoot some of the problems that they're facing while going independent. All right. We hope you enjoy part one of our episode with Nick and Jack. I do think it's really crazy to hear your guys' voice like this, because I do want to say that when the pandemic hit, I listened to Snacks Daily every morning, and it was actually something that kept me grounded and feeling like I was connected to the broader world while I was isolated in my home. That's really when I started listening, and the fact that it was a daily show was so impressive to me. So, Nick and Jack, it's so great to have you guys here, actually, on the pod. Welcome to the show. Well... Colin Smear, you guys are, first of all, appreciate those incredibly kind words. Second of all, two guys we admire as fellow creators because we've got to get our best tips, our best knowledge, and our best just strategy to the point where when we relaunched as our own entrepreneurs again, you were literally like our day one emails. Yeah, I remember that. That was awesome. Yeah. I really appreciate that. And yeah, we're, we're really excited to chat with you guys. I think it'd be helpful to take a step back and you know, help contextualize who you guys are. We're familiar with your story, but for the broader audience, where did this creator journey begin? Because you guys are you guys are old college buddies. Yeah, you could say the creator journey began when we walked into the same dorm room, realized we had the same Seinfeld DVDs, and then soon became best friends at Middlebury and realized that we had a lot in common and a lot totally not in common. Um, We had a similar sense of humor, but Jack's from rural Vermont and I'm from New York City. And so there was kind of this cool mix we noticed early on of things that were totally different and things that were really, really nice crossover. Yeah, we both also played sports at Middlebury. And uh, Mm -hmm. Nick actually did a short gig as the college newspaper sports editor. And he got the chance to write about me once. And he described me as a wide-eyed country boy from Brattleboro, Vermont, who came to the big city of Middlebury. Middlebury (laughs) is 8,000 people. (laughs) And I remember one time Nick got good grades one, one like period. And I saw him writing something and I noticed it was like a form for the New York times. And I'm like, Nick, what are you doing? 
He's like, I'm letting the New York Times know I made Dean's List. I'm like, the New York Times is not going to publish that you made Dean's List. And then he That's like amazing. rips on me. He's like, sorry, I don't have the Brattleboro Weekly Gazette. So that was the I'm, beginning of our creator economy list. But really, then Jack and I started rooming together right after college. We were both working at banks and both realized while we were at these banks, you know what? This job has been really interesting. We've learned a lot, but we wish we were just doing something more creative with our time. We wish we could be applying some of the skills we aren't getting to use right now, like writing skills. And we're kind of noticing this opportunity in the market, which is business news that actually speaks our language and our friend's language and our generation's language, which was missing. So we began a company called Market Snacks. Really what we began was a daily rundown newsletter that we called Market Snacks. And you can't do this when you're working at a bank. Mm -hmm. So when Jack and I were crafting these emails every day, we were really doing it anonymously because you couldn't have a side hustle if you were working at a bank. And we just kept doing it and doing it every day. And it kept growing and growing and growing to the point where finally, when we had the opportunity to monetize, that's when we kind of approached our banks and realized better to ask for forgiveness than to have asked for permission, which we probably wouldn't have gotten. And we got, we got the approval yeah. and it became a full on side hustle that generated some money on the side. And we did that for six or seven years as Nick and I, you know, worked in finance and Nick worked at a, a nonprofit venture capital firm, which is uh, a great spot. And then we both ended up at business school and uh, turned our one headed daily email newsletter into a two headed product in between the two years of business school for kind of our summer gig. So that was the moment we went full hustle, as we call it, from side hustle to full hustle. And that summer was wild. Um, the business took off and we ended up selling the company and totally changed our lives. Like Launching we, the podcast changed our lives. Yeah. To give you a sense of like what was happening in our lives, before business school, Jack and I would run down to the wall to the New York Stock Exchange. We would do TV interviews as part of Market Snacks. Then by 9 a.m., we'd run back uptown on the subway and go back to our day jobs. And then at night, we were crafting the email newsletter, going out to tens of thousands of people. And so we built up this really robust business and we're like ready to pull the trigger on full time. Finally, business school gave us the opportunity. And then what Jack's describing, that crazy summer, at the very end of that summer, we've launched a podcast, we've launched a newsletter referral system that we built out with an engineer that we could own and had grown the newsletter even more. At that point, Robinhood, the stock trading app, approaches us, and after we'd done a partnership with them, realized this was a really good fit, they end up acquiring us, and Jack and I spent the next three years after that deal as part of Robinhood, Robinhood Snacks, which Samir mm -hmm. and Khan, you mentioned, the daily yeah. newsletter and podcast you got to know and love, Robinhood Snacks, Snacks Daily, the podcast. And then just last month, after three years at Robinhood, Jack and I were fortunate to work at a deal with Robinhood in which they keep the newsletter and Jack and I spun off the podcast into our own separate company. And that podcast is the same core product, except new and better, as we call it, with the new name, The Best One Yet. Yeah, I mean, self-proclaimed self best one yet. Well, I, uh, yeah. other people proclaim yeah. it. Other people proclaim it. Mm -hmm. um, that was awesome. That was a great story. Yeah, uh, amazing. I, I didn't know where you were going to stop, but I love that you <laughs> kept going all the way until the end. That was perfect. That was really good. You guys, you guys are really good at telling your origin story, which is something that Colin and I always... Um, struggle with. We would but, still be talking yeah. and we would only be in like the first quarter <laughs> right now. But I, I have a lot of questions just to, to look back in time. I think something that's really important that I pulled from that story that you guys just told is you said, 
you, you had other jobs when you started on your creator journey and you did it for six or seven years. Uh, I, I'm just really interested in that from the, on the newsletter side, as you guys started creating, I feel like today, you know, the, it's so exciting, this prospect of becoming a creator, but it feels like it all has to happen in an accelerated window. Like, I think it feels like you, you want to just explode, um, immediately, but your guys' success was a little bit more gradual. Um, I'm curious if you could speak to those, you know, six or seven years of, you know, building a newsletter, uh, and, and what that was like to just slowly grow, uh, I guess. For me, I found it personally fulfilling. It was a cool thing. Like we were early pioneers in the curated daily email newsletter space. And that started like blow up with the skim and eventually others. But I used my working for market snacks in my day job. I mean, I was writing about the economy and finance and I did work in finance. So I was able to articulate concepts to clients really well. Um, it was cool. It made me some friends and some dates. Um, it made some money eventually with the advertising business that Nick mentioned. But for me, I was a little bit of kind of an accidental entrepreneur. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. Nick, Nick had some uh, incredible kind of instinct on entrepreneurship, but with Nick as my partner, we just found the right moments to take leaps in our commitment and to marry ourselves more and more to this entrepreneurial journey. But we did, even when it was a smaller gig, get, find benefits more than just through commercial success. Right. So what, is, what does validation look like throughout that six or seven years? Like, are there replies to the email? Are people bringing it up at work? Like, you know, what is it that truly keeps you going throughout that process? Well, the fun thing about having, about side hustle entrepreneurship, Jack and I found, is that you're liberated to experiment from thing with things because you don't have the burden of fellow employees and you don't have the burden of investors and you don't have the burden of profits. Instead, you have the burden of the trust you have with your co-founder and making sure that you're doing something that you're both excited about. And we both were really excited about this and just loved doing it together. So the validation we started noticing there wasn't pressure to see validation early on, but because we were doing it for so long, we just kind of kept getting validation along the way, and it could be different things. So that validation was often in the form of a surprise. Maybe it was getting invited to be on Cheddar multiple times. Mm. Um, so we would go to the New York Stock Exchange and started doing live TV. Then we realized, you know what, we're, pretty, we're having fun and we're doing well at live TV. That led to like us appearing on CBS, and then we started appearing on CBS pretty frequently. And that led to validation that if we're going to get invited on CBS a lot, and we can do TV, when someone reaches out to, hey, you guys should try a podcast, yeah, let's try it. Those other validators lined up, we may as well experiment with this. Yeah. Was it a part of our business plan? No, because we didn't have one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, there's a balance as a creator between focusing on the content and focusing on the growth. And mm -hmm. Nick and I did not have time to focus on the growth. We spent zero dollars on marketing. We found some strategic partnerships here and there. Like our first advertiser, well, we had a couple advertisers, but our first like cool advertiser yeah. didn't pay us a dollar. They just gave us a few gift cards. And we said, can we just like make it look like you're an advertiser? Because that's going to give us mm -hmm. like some cool factor and some yeah. credibility with future advertising partners. And boom, they became a slide in our pitch deck, which we then converted <laughs> other future advertisers to. So they gave us a few like gift cards and, you know, we rallied that off to people who would share the newsletter. But we um, actually share that that advice um, quite a bit. Like our first advertiser on our YouTube channel was an exchange for product. They just gave us their product. Yeah. There you go. But it was the social proof of 
this is a space for advertising, um, as mm-hmm. well as even us having to work out the kinks of like, what does it mean to have an advertiser on this channel? And I think that's yeah. a really important thing for creators of what you just mentioned that, you know, the, a, the social proof of like, yes, other advertisers are, are, are investing in this platform. Uh, but B like, what does it look like to advertise on this show or this newsletter? Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. was the first like monetized advertising deal you guys had? And do you remember, was that a big moment where you were like, oh, this is like, this, this could be something. Yeah, I, I actually want to quickly answer Colin's sure. question, Samir, and then we'll go back to it. Colin, um, given that we didn't focus on growth and we did all the focus on the content, that's actually where the name The Best One Yet came from. Mm. Nick and I would email each other the next morning and say, T-Boy, like that was the best one yet. And we'd celebrate together. And we'd, we would get emails from people that say, your newsletter you know, gave me the stories I needed to, get, to land my job. And we get those emails still today and they're great. We do love that. Um, it was kind of the knowledge that we're only focusing on content and the feedback we're getting on our content is just, is just fantastic. And there were moments where, you know, it was, it was tough going through the slow growth, but we knew that the product was something that was so good that that was the drive to stay committed to it. I'm so glad you added that, Jack. Um, so to answer your question about our first advertisers, it was probably, it may have been Betterment, Jack, as one of the first advertisers, or, or Yahoo Finance at one point. Yeah, it was Betterment. I mean, FinTech is a natural, yeah. uh, a, a natural advertiser for us. Um, Fidelity was back there. Yeah, Outdoor yeah. Voices was the company that gave Ooh, us Outdoor Voices the social super proof cool. you mentioned. Super cool. That's one where we were like, we're getting the better end of yeah. this because <laughs> you know we're getting the brand kind of relevance and spinoff uh, from you guys. But a, a funny um, thing Jack and I noticed in that process was we kind of started treating advertising like a muscle, like something we had to work out, we had to figure out, we had to flex. We didn't want to get it too big that it was like muscle bound, but we didn't want it to be so weak that people wouldn't advertise with us. So we basically would experiment with all these advertisers early on when the stakes were low of, you know, if we put the placements up here, is that annoying people? Is it getting clicks Mm -hmm. down here? Because we didn't have the answers. And we tried meeting with mentors and you know, you always try to not reinvent the wheel if someone's been through it, but every product is unique. So we did spend those first advertising relationships kind of treating it with like a muscle we had to flex out to figure out what the balance is. And like one other example of that is even years down the line, Jack had a business school professor who was like, you know, Jack and I would book out ads and we were constantly trying to book out ads every week, every week. And he said, make them buy up at least two weeks of ads. And then Jack and I were like, oh, so we set a minimum. Therefore, it means we have to do less advertising selling, A. And then B, they're more likely to get better results because they're not just buying a one-off daily ad that may or may not get clicks. So like that came six years down the line. Mm. But because Jack and I approached advertising as something that, you know, you don't want to ignore. It's part of the customer experience. Because we kept flexing it and improving it, um, we got to a place by the time we sold to Robinhood that we really had a advertising routine and a strong muscle. So it was also powerful, Nick, when a potential advertiser would say, I want to advertise in your newsletter. And we'll be like, um, let me check my calendar. How's the end of next month? Cause we yeah, had right. a bunch of weeks taken out. It was so much, so powerful for our leverage, um, to start selling ads by the week instead of by the yeah, day. Exactly. Nick, you brought up selling to Robinhood, and I, I want to get there, but first I want to ask you about going from newsletter to podcast. Did writing the newsletter put you in a good spot to transition to podcast? Like when you first recorded, did you guys take a step back after and just say like, wow, that's the best one yet. 
And like, <laughs> I feel like your guys' voices are made to be when I listen to them. Was it, it was okay. it an immediate sort of hit in your eyes? It was not an immediate hit in terms of that was not the best episode. <laughs> no in fact, Jack it. and I joke no around that was recording. Yeah, the first recording was not the best, but we had so much fun doing it. We were like, this is something to do. And I, I remember, well, we actually, and this is a great example of like how you never know what opportunities will lead to new opportunities. Jack and I were fortunate that we got press for being in the Forbes 30 under 30 list. We got some press from that, great. But it was weeks later that someone reached out, a guy named Chris Corcoran, who was the chief content officer of Cadence 13, a podcast company, and said, I saw that press, and I actually think you guys would translate well your newsletter and your video appearances, that chemistry, if you can capture it, into podcasting. Here's and what Jack he said, and I though. were honestly skeptical. Here, well, here's what he said. Only if you can yeah. do it daily. Oof. We were like, doing right. a podcast daily? He's like, I'm kidding? telling you, there's a void in daily financial news podcasts. And we weren't sure we could do it. But nonetheless, we said yes. And uh, yes was to, was to come audition. So we flew to New York. We went to their studio on the Upper West Side. And our plan was just to do that day's newsletter in podcast form. And we did a 50-minute podcast, Whoa, it was which is great. way longer than Too our 15 much. minutes that we did today. We were just like kind of rambling. But the team there saw something. They saw a chemistry, and they said – for a first audition, that was great. And they offered us a 90-episode pilot. And coming up with our format was so crucial, critical. Week one in 2018, we actually launched May of 2018, so just over four years ago. We had the same general format as we do today, which is an intro, um, three stories, and then an outro. There's a couple of tweaks and new features we've added in, along the way. Mm -hmm. But having that consistent format is like a temp, we, we literally have a template that we copy and paste every day in our shared Google Doc. And that structure makes the daily mm -hmm. production process doable. Yeah. yeah, what we found is that podcasts are a multitask medium. People are doing things when they're listening, um, but also they're only consuming you in their ears. And so we got this great advice we built out with our producers then, Cadence, which was all these kind of critical tweaks we had to make to that mess of a first episode, which was, like Jack said, the consistency of every day having the same stories. Because if someone's on the treadmill, they want to know when they're finishing their run that you finish story number two like usual. Um, we realized that each story had to be a story in and of itself. That's something we knew from our newsletter days. We had to have a climax, a takeaway, a finish, a finale. Um, we realized that we had to hit off strong every day with something that would catch and keep your attention and would be something that you'd want to share. So we always make our intro something that's kind of socially pop culture relevant. We always begin with the same lines. This is Nick. This is Jack. Because consistency is key in audio when you can't see the people. You know, and we always want to end on that positive note to kind of leave you excited to return the next day for a daily product. So when we completed that format in the first few months, that's when Jack and I realized, and then we started seeing the engagement, that there was an engagement level here, more than the newsletter. This was something special. And that's when Nick and I realized at the age of 30 that podcasters was our calling. And yeah. we plan to do this for the next 40 years as, as best friends and business partners. It's, it's a dream career we stumbled into. <laughs> We just finished our last recording. We had a blast, and honestly, it does feel like that was the best episode <laughs> we've ever done, Jack. That's so good. We got this feedback from Cadence 13 to, that this is an audio medium, and since people can't see you, 
you have to be 110% of yourself. That's what we were yeah. told. And so Nick and I started doing that. But then there's a balance between like kind of performing and, and being yourself. And we wanted to somehow be both. So actually being 110% of yourself is the perfect advice because you are being yourself, Yeah. but you're also performing at the same time. And I think I've had a lot of fun just kind of bringing up the energy mm -hmm. for every podcast. Yeah. And Colin, that's something we learned over time and didn't so know. So that's something that I want to be able to do for myself before we record our episodes, uh, mm -hmm. both on the podcast and that we have on the channel. Do you have any advice for me of how I can get to 110% <laughs> of myself? <laughs> how, do you, how do you do that every day? Stand up. I, I'd say stand up. Nick and I always record standing when we can, yeah. and we're extremely animated. Uh, <laughs> My, I'm gesticulating. <laughs> I'm jumping around. I mean, I'm really like like a boxer before the opening round. Jack and I honestly treat this podcast just like we did our college sports career. So like we were telling you before, uh, Jack played college football, was a great quarterback in Middlebury, and I was a um, lacrosse player at Brown. And we would have warm-up routines, and you'd watch game tape, and you'd get excited to be there with your teammates. And honestly, it feels the exact same. Before, Jack and I have a little warm-up routine. Like, I'll listen to... The walkthrough. I'll walk through for 20, 30 minutes, listen to, like, a bunch of different pods that have nothing to do with us, some pop culture, some business, you know, just totally random, just to get a sense of the how people are speaking, the chemistry, and kind of get ready to go. Jack and I will then turn on the mics, and we'll just kind of go back and forth, having fun, chatting about the weekends, some jokes we just read. And we'll have the mics going. And then when the timing feels right, we're kind of just like, all right, here we go. Three, two, and we kick off the pod. So we kind of like let the momentum carry us into the beginning of the podcast. I have a question about um, Cadence 13, because I think that's kind of a unique way that you guys went into you know, starting up a podcast. You talked about auditioning. Does that suggest that Cadence had some ownership in the pod? Um, is that like it was a Cadence 13 podcast that you guys were the hosts of? Can you explain the relationship with Cadence 13? Yeah, we owned the pod, which was great. And it was a, a simple revenue split. So Nick and I were responsible for the content every day. We, it was completely up to us. There was no involvement from anyone except for their great advice on like podcasting best practices. Nick and I just focused on the content every day. And Cadence was responsible for editing, distribution, and crucially, right. ad sales. So that's where the, uh, the revenue split came in. They sold our ads, and we kept our part. They kept their part. And um, every day, they deliver us the, the ad reads. Very cool. That's awesome. It was a great relationship, yeah. And, and the good thing is we're both uh, mutually aligned because the bigger the podcast, of, of course, Nick and I want a bigger podcast, but so do they because they can sell more ads. So now take us to uh, the point where, where the acquisition with Robinhood happens. Like how quickly is that from starting the pod, having a 50 minute version to developing the format to now getting acquired by Robinhood? Well, Jack and I had to, what we knew from our newsletter days was that with the daily product, you got to deliver consistency in both quality and in format. So we knew we had to move quickly on creating the format. So we did focus mm. on that quickly in that June of like, 2018. Um, and then we launched the pod. We'd already sold out the ad sections, the ad segments, but I was going on my honeymoon. So we literally had a, a moment two weeks in where Jack was preparing the pod notes and I was like on our honeymoon in Italy and Jack and I would get together and record, but we knew we had to be consistent. So we had to make it sound like we were in the same place, even though I was six hours away. So we knew early on consistency is key. 
That whole summer, the next three months, Jack and I focus on just improving the core product, our performance, but within the bounds of that mm -hmm. format. And two months in, we were doing a promotion in the newsletter with Robinhood when we realized there was mm -hmm. more of a more of a fit here. Yeah, Robinhood sponsored the newsletter for a week. And then Jack and I said, you know what? Okay, there's actually a thesis we had in business school, which was tech needs media to engage their audience better, but media needs tech to kind of subsidize their business. So we'd always had this feeling that that would be a good fit. We were watching all the newspapers and the, and the journalism outlets just crumble as they lost advertising to YouTube and Google and Facebook. And so we knew we needed... Uh, a sugar daddy <laughs> at some point, so to speak. Um, and, and apparently Robinhood believed in that yeah. thesis too, because suddenly they started asking us questions that had just nothing to do with like a one week ad sponsorship. <laughs> and Nick and I looked at yeah. each other we're like, what the hell is going on here? And literally we're like, you know put it, the phone on mute. We're like, <laughs> <laughs> before you know it, they dropped the A-bomb. Yeah. And uh, Nick and I, full disclosure, just after the phone call, you know, we kept it together until the phone call ended. Yeah. But uh, Robinhood was the $5 billion, you know, massively just soaring company. First company that ever did commission-free stock trading, which was an unbelievable value proposition. And we flew out to meet the co-founders. <laughs> yeah. And Vlad and Beju, the co-founders, just really good guys who we sat down. It was such a fun connection because, like, they had been, like, friends in college and had lived in New York and started a business in the East Village just like us. So it was fun just culturally talking to them. They knew finance, but then they also had a vision that we could be a brand as part of Robinhood, continue doing exactly what we were doing. And our purpose wasn't to drive people into the app and be, like, mm. content marketing. Our purpose was to be a separate you know, a standalone brand that could really just engage people, drive high NPS, and have a halo effect for Robinhood by us focusing on the news. So we actually, as part of the deals, we worked it out over the next few months. Um, and deals, by the way, just take longer than yeah, I think a lot of yeah. people realize. Brutal, brutal deal yeah. process. Just, just anyone, it's just going to take People months, always see the Instagram and... photos of like the champagne popping. It's after yeah. like five months mm -hmm. and a lot of legal fees. <laughs> and, you know, it was crucial for us that we sought the advice of advisors mm -hmm. because um, we just would have been less prepared and struck a not as good deal if we didn't let some people in on the circle of trust and get their feedback on are these terms good, so on and so forth. I, I totally agree. And, you know, we, we went through an acquisition as well in, in 2014. And um, I, the hardest part for me personally, because right. I was dealing more on the business side and with the negotiation, was keeping day-to-day -day operations going while you're dealing with an acquisition, a, a looming acquisition where, you yeah. know, some days are better than others in, in the negotiation process or the deal making process. There's, there's a ton of fear involved in that. There's a ton of excitement. There's a ton of, it's just a mix of emotions that while you guys were producing mm -hmm. a daily show, I imagine was a challenging thing to, to manage. It was it, in this latest deal. Cause we did another deal. Nick and I continued to put on the show every day. Um, He's also on the West Coast and I'm on the East Coast. And we're really kind of owning this remote uh, work setup with me in Vermont and Nick in San Francisco. But one benefit of that was we would have like deal emails that we had to get back to. Uh, and we had to get back quickly. Otherwise, the deal would have dragged out even longer. And we have the shared Google Doc. Um, it was originally called Follow Up Fridays because Friday was the day that Nick and I found time to like get back to people because we put on a show every day. Um, eventually follow up Fridays was used every day, but Nick would draft an email 
uh, an important email as part of this in negotiation the in the evening because I was like asleep in Vermont. And mm-hmm. then in the morning, I would review his email. And then we'd get together at like 11 Eastern, 8 Pacific. And we joked that certain important emails we both had to turn the key at the yeah. same time for. But we had a full 24 hours to like make sure it was a great email. And honestly, sending good, comprehensive, informative emails was crucial for any any deal to yeah. close. And um, having you know, having the time mm. to like let the email sit there made sure that it was it was the right one to send when we finally did. That's good advice. We, we now call it our deal docs doc, and it is the same thing. It's kind of like throwing a ball back and forth. You know, I'll throw it to Jack, and I trust and know he's going to do an amazing job with it when he gets it, and vice versa. Sometimes Jack will draft something in the mornings, and then I'll get it, and then I'll send it off. It's funny. The pod is the product of both of us. Like, I draft the initial notes for a story, and then Nick edits mm. and reviews, and vice versa. And so are all of the emails any business partner gets from us. Wow. is the product of both yeah. of us. <laughs> Jack and I have a rule for efficiency. Because you, you guys, I, I know, have seen this with content, which is so much at like media companies, you see friction around content because one person is created and then one person edits and then it leads to tension because it goes through edits and edits and edits. And that may not be what the writer intended. And it could cause bad blood or just a little resentment from the person who's being edited, yeah. especially if they're being over it. Yeah, even a time delay. And so Jack and I have a one and done rule where like one of us writes something. If Jack thinks the joke that we just crafted on coffee creamers doesn't land, he'll cut it out. I'm not going to push back on it because I trust his judgment. But if I did push back on it, it would just waste our time. We don't have time on a daily pod and it would create friction. And like, that's not what this is about. It's at the end of the day, it's about our friendship. So that's what we do is we have a one and done rule. We kind of apply to everything, which is like, if the other person feels strongly on it, we just go with the other person because it just saves time and it saves a relationship. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. Just in general, in a creative career, not getting too attached to your ideas, especially when you're coming up with minor ideas in a much grander process, right? Like we're coming up with so many ideas that are just within the bounds of a singular video. You think about the amount of edits we make for one of our videos. It's thousands. Yeah. Like we we don't have time to get Mm -hmm. hung up on every single one of those little changes. No, not at all. So when this does happen and you guys, you know, obviously figure out how to keep a daily product going while this negotiation's happening. And then we do get the champagne bottle pop Instagram. Um, you know, how did it feel going from being an independent, you know, media company to now being just wrapped up into Robinhood? Well, it's, it's two emotions, I think, as a founder. One of them is the excitement and the opportunity, because for the first time you're getting resources and things that you would have taken you so much longer to get. Um, one of the big things Jack and I focus on out of this deal, which you know, we and Robinhood see is like it was mutually beneficial for both, and most deals are not, was that what we got out of it was incredible growth and reach of audience. We reached an audience size that we never thought we would reach and we wouldn't have received on our own. So that was a huge benefit for us. Um, as a founder, the other thing we found is you know, you're giving up your baby. You're giving up control. Why don't you tell the... Uh what your therapist said about the car. Oh, when you sell your car. Yeah. As my therapist put it, you know, you've given up your car to someone. You sold the car. You can't go into the garage now and say, Hey, you got to drive it like this or take it easy on the right hand turns. Like it's not your car anymore. It's in the garage and it's their garage. It's, and it's their decisions on what to do with the car. So, be proud that you took care of this wonderful car, but um, it's, it's not your car anymore. And give your advice on how to take care of it. But it's no longer yours to take care of. And you need to 
emotionally separate. And so I shared that, that therapy tidbit with Jack and we realized, you know, at the end of the day, that was the newsletter we had, Jack and I were writing the newsletter every single day. Now it's a team of like six, seven people who are working on the newsletter and we had no role in it at the end of our time at Robinhood and definitely no role in it right now because we let that car go. Fortunately, we were able to continue to own and run the podcast after Robinhood and that's a car we love driving. Yeah. Incredibly important was that we declared editorial independence when we launched Robin Hood Snacks. Mm -hmm. So we had, you know, all the stories were chosen by us and, and written how we wanted to, which was that gave us such great peace of mm -hmm. mind because the pod is like our life force. I was really curious about that. Um, I was like very intrigued to press play on your guys pod when there was negativity surrounding Robin Hood. Um, you know, and like what that was going to sound like. Yes. We noticed in the download numbers that you weren't the only one. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. I mean, it was, yeah. it was a Curious. fascinating thing to explore to be like, okay, here's these creators who are, you know, at Robin hood who have said to us, they have editorial independence. Uh, and now here's a moment, like, are they going to cover it or not? Oh, well we should. Yeah. We, you know, <laughs> it was, it was a prescient decision. And I'm so thankful we made it because it made our lives a little bit easier. Our lives yeah. weren't easy on those days you're referring to Samir, but we did right. say that we're not going to cover news about Robin hood. Um, so while we were at Robin hood snacks, we didn't ever, now, when there was moments, there were there right. were a couple of moments we acknowledged what was happening because it would have just been conspicuously absurd not to. Yeah. But anyway, perhaps you listened to that episode, but we yes. basically just said we we don't cover Robinhood news. We do cover news that are industry trends that Robinhood might have been involved in, and we did to the to the best of our ability. But for the most part, being a part of Robinhood, um, we just weren't the best place for people to get yeah. Robinhood news. So we made that decision early on. And the cool thing about that is because we communicated that early on and because we built up, and this is what's so important Jack and I found about just having trust and closeness with your community, with your audience, is that they were forgiving. And that you know this was not an audience that just left us when they were frustrated with the parent company. Um, you know, on the contrary, they continue to listen and almost separate the two in their minds. Part of that's because we had a sub-brand. We were Robin Hood Snacks or Snacks Daily, not Robin Hood. Um, but part of that was because we built up, and this is something that's so special about podcasting, a very personal relationship with the audience, where at the end of the day, they're listening to you. They're listening to our chemistry, mm -hmm. and that's what this is about. It is not about um, the corporate element to the medium. The medium is really, really human and personal. I think the thing you guys did extremely well and have, have done very well, but in your format development was this, what you mentioned, which is so smart around like the consistency, the ritual nature of it, the um, ability to reach a mass audience. And at the same time, the inclusion of your community um, at the end, right? Like you, you, like the fact that there's, there was a name with snackers and, you know, now you guys have played into that with the, with the, with the new name. Um, but it wasn't even community just at the end. It was like yeah. entirely throughout. Right. I remember Samir and I one time dissected one of your episodes just to think like, okay, second zero to five, <laughs> yeah. that's about community. Right. Seconds like 20 to 30. Uh -huh. Okay. That's value prop. Right. You know, like, and it was amazing how oh, often yeah. you always came back to a community element. I did submit, um, Colin for a shout out one time on his birthday. Unfortunately, did not get it, but uh, that's how often we were listening oh. that I was like so excited <laughs> to, to wow. see if it was going to happen. Well, uh, and it was, it was, a, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, you yeah. A I, but it is it is like an incredibly exciting thing, even at the age of thirty two years old, to hear your name is just exciting. <laughs> I mean, and it, it's something that you listen to. Even the name of the show, you guys have just created so much of your own vernacular and mm. your own vocabulary, and yeah. that's key to communities, right? That if you're listening and you say T boy, and I don't know what it yeah. means then clearly I'm on the outside. Right. But yeah. I want to keep listening until I'm on the inside. I think you guys have done that better than like any any podcast show I've ever seen. Thanks so much, guys. It, it actually is part of a, a strategy Jack and I have, which is that mm. great brands have their own language, um, just like, you know, a country does. And the language we speak with our audience, you know, not everyone is fluent in it at first. But if you're curious, you can learn the language and be a part of this group. Um, it's not exclusive at all. Everyone is welcome. It just takes you know a little bit of listening, and you kind of can pick it up on your own. You don't need to take a Duolingo. <laughs> but you should launch a Duolingo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should launch a, a T-Boy yeah, Duolingo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, you know, there are phrases that we say that have underlying meanings, like right. guac is always extra. What we're saying there you know, is that there's no such thing as a free lunch. Or sometimes we'll joke around and say mattress, right. mattress, mattress quickly. And we're referring to the fact that if you say mattress... The phenomenon that everyone's experienced where right. if you say something, you're going to start seeing ads for that yeah. thing. And you're into that. <laughs> That's my favorite, I think. Or a level five zucking, you know, when Facebook copies a product. <laughs> well, I have to say Facebook copied some. We can just say it's a zucking. By the way, the best thing was this week, you guys called it uh, something an OG zucking. And I don't remember what it was now, but I just like... You said the, oh, yeah. the Winkle vibe. Yeah, it was like the OG zucking. Oh, that was zucking, the it was the way at the gym yeah. while I was listening. Um, <laughs> well, Samir, to get to your point of community too, um, the fun thing is then the audience learns that language. And a lot of times when we reference like zuckings, it's because mm. the audience is tweeting at us and saying, hey, I just saw right. a level three zucking over here. Well, it's also how we speak to each other, yeah. Nick, you know, and we want people to just feel like a part of the conversation and uh, having these little inside jokes. I mean, inside jokes are great. We all love inside jokes. I think as we produce more audio, I think you guys should expect a level five zucking from us. Uh, so, just so you know, yeah, it's you're going to start listening. <laughs> you turn on our show. This no is judgment. Colin. This is Samir. You know, you're going to hear it. Unless you guys call yourselves <laughs> T-Boy, the greatest one yet. It's going to be lower than us. level five. It'll, yeah. it'll be level four, level it's three. It's a funny line because one of the books that Jack and I love is Steal Like an Artist. It's a great book. Yeah, it's a, f it's a fantastic book. Nick gifted that to me. Yeah. So, you know, there's, you know, there's a funny line there. There's copying, and then there's stealing like an artist from inspiration. Mm -hmm. So we're we're big fans of stealing like an artist. Yeah. So can you talk through um, just the, I, I'm sure there's people who are listening right now who are curious about the process of making a daily show, and that process when it comes to being within a company too. Like at Robinhood, the growth that you guys saw, a lot of that is like you mentioned from the consistency. Making a daily show sounds unbelievably overwhelming. How did that work? And how does that work? Is it the same process right now? Have you guys refined the process? It's it's the same process with some some caveats. Um, Robinhood is and was uh, a, a heavily regulated financial entity. So we had to go through compliance. Everything we put out went through the same compliance review as anything Robinhood puts out. Um, and that's just how the finance industry gets regulated. So we don't have that check anymore. We also are just, it's just Nick and me. So it all starts with a meeting that we call the headline hammer. And in the headline hammer, it's at about 1130 Eastern, 830 Pacific. We have a list in this shared Google doc, which we work so much in Google docs and, and Apple FaceTime. Mm -hmm. uh, those are our two <laughs> must haves, but we have about 20 potential stories that we could cover, and they're basically just news headlines. And Nick and I both consume a ton of news. Um, and it's always our goal when listening to news to take note of, of the smartest 
insights that we hear and find a way to get it into the pod in the next couple of weeks. Anyway, in the headline hammer, Nick and I just decide what are the three stories we should choose today? The right mix. Yeah. And our show is not finance news. It, it is much broader and more um, accessible than that. It's really, we call it pop biz. Um, it's, it's business, but served in a, in a pop style. Um, so we have a combination of finance, economics, markets news, um, and business news. And we find a combination of three that feels diverse, informative, fun, not too heavy, but sometimes there's heavy stories because they're too important not to know. And Nick and I will pitch each other our favorite stories. So I'll pitch Nick my story. He will either love the idea or politely decline. Or, or we'll build out something together. Yeah. From that. We end up with a mix of three stories after about, I don't know, 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then um, Nick and I go off. We assign each other stories. I'll jump on the, the Tesla story. Nick will jump on the Beyond Meat story. And um, I primarily do the research for one, Nick does for the other. Then we swap, I edit, I review, I fact check, he does the same. About four o'clock Eastern, one Pacific, we are ready to record the pot. Nick, how many hours a day is it like? It's probably before we push record. It's probably an hour of, of researching stories, another hour of our headline hammer chat, which is the core of the right. day. Then right. two to three hours writing, crafting the notes and the outline that we work off of and riff off of. And the research. And then two hours of recording. And the fact checking. And then we send it to our editor. Yeah. What Jack and I try to channel is we almost think of ourselves as chefs going to a farmer's market. And every day with the news, and this is the thing about a daily news pod, you don't know what's going to be at the market. You know, the salmon may be fresh or the asparagus <laughs> may be fresh. But we don't know. What we do know is that we'll have these huge, like we have our, our big launch day where we're going independent yeah. on April 25th. We have no idea what stories no idea. are going to be in that pod until the day before exactly. that. Exactly. It's whatever is fresh. <laughs> I almost can't handle the real time analogies. They're so yeah, good. Yeah, they're so good. <laughs> so so good. basically, what we realize is whatever is fresh, Jack and I can find the story. And by that, we mean we can find the recipe. Um, from our experience that tells and serves that dish up to you in the best way possible. And then we want all three stories to be the right fit. One should be, you know, the, you know, the appetizer, one, the entree, one, the dessert, you know, the right mix. So it's whatever's fresh. Jack and I know that we can kind of serve up the fun meal for it. And are you guys editing it or are you sending it off to an editor? How is that working? It takes us about an hour and a half or, or up to two hours to record the pod, but we only have 15 minutes of footage that makes the cut. So, you know, we record the intro, then we take a breath, we prepare for the first story, then we record the first story, and then we repeat that for the second and third, and then the outro. So we have kind of five chunks of, of, um, of, of story for the podcast. And Nick is, is taking notes. He's timestamping when we start and when we finish each story. And then we send those notes to our editor along with my file and Nick's file, and he beautifully syncs the two together. His name's Adam. He's based in L.A. It's great that he's on the West Coast, by the way. Yeah, that's nice. And then after an hour or two, he delivers the final product based on the notes that Nick sends over. So you guys sound like you've got this process pretty dialed. When you're at Robinhood, your connection to your community is dialed. Like you have those two things checked off. What was missing mm -hmm in that situation where you decided that you ultimately wanted to go independent again? It's not just a missing story. It's also a sense of satisfaction that Robin Hood Snacks was a, a fantastic, you know, news arm. We had, we had an enormous newsletter, the baby that Nick and I, you know, gave up 
to Robin Hood was, was thriving. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was great to see. Um, so after three plus years, we just felt like we'd succeeded, mm. um, and, and felt really, really good about that. We had a team at Robin Hood that was ready to continue the snacks, the snacks product that we gave birth to. And so that was what satisfied us. And then the one thing that was missing was, you know, we were entrepreneurs who sold our company and we want to get back to entrepreneurship and, oh, the thrill of, of deciding every day what to do. Oh I mean, my God. It, it can, it can cause a little anxiety for yeah. sure. I mean, the limitless possibility and never knowing what you you'll do as much as you decide to do that day. And that's both, uh, empowering and, and a little scary sometimes, but, uh, you know, one thing we wanted to do was invest in our audience. Yeah. And, and that means while we were at Robinhood, we invested in our audience through our pod every day. And we gave like everything to that podcast every mm -hmm. day. But we wanted to do more than that, like live weekly chats. So since we relaunched, Nick and I have jumped onto Instagram Live for a half hour every Friday. And we've had so much fun inviting our fans into the Hangout, yeah. you know, see their face on screen and answer their live questions. It's that kind of thing that is harder to do at a heavily regulated financial company like that. The first day Jack and I launched the best one yet podcast, we launched video pod. You know, we hadn't done that in the prior three years. Um, right. And that's opened up new opportunities with platforms and partners in an exciting way. And so you can, we could just be so nimble and do so many new things. You know, Jack and I kind of see everything in media and everything we're doing as, is it a growth opportunity or an engagement opportunity? And there were kind of elements of both we wanted to hit. So our plan for this first year is a lot of engagement focus that we hadn't done before and new ways to focus on growth in different ways. I love that. Engagement in particular has been fun. I think it's really important like for you know, a lot of creators and even people on the outside who are exploring the creator economy to recognize that people like yourselves, people like us, like we are entrepreneurs uh, and we have entrepreneurial desires. Media just so happens to be our product, right? It's, it's like we're, we're producing this creative as our product, but just like any other entrepreneur, we're interested in, in scaling and building, um, you know, and, and having some of those similar uh, experiences and we're validated by pretty similar things. Um, but I do think well, the unique thing is, I think it's really challenging as Colin and I have started to grow and produce more content. And we're not making a daily show, um, but we're working on content every day. I find it incredibly challenging to work on the business side um, and the creative side at the same time. Um, I'm mm -hmm. curious, you know, as you guys have, you know, stepped out of, of Robin Hood, um, first of all, it sounds like you have a, an amazing relationship and the fact that they, you know, came on as an exclusive sponsor of the pod. Um, but I'm just curious about that, you know, that step and now being, you know, independent again, how has that been so far? It, I know it's been a really short amount of time. Well, we do have a great relationship with Robin Hood and it's just been really nice to continue that relationship. Um, in terms of the biz dev opportunities, this is where Jack and I have a lot of fun. And after you've sold your company, you're not going to do as much of that at the company where you are. So what Jack and I found is actually it's been overwhelming. Mm. It's kind of like a lot of inbound because it's been so pent up. So what we do is Jack and I really segment out our days in a very organized way. Because with the daily product, like you're saying, Samir, if one thing gets off yeah. track, and that recording gets sent to our editor two hours late, and then he can't edit, and then it's too late for me to get back in the studio and we can't change something, that's a disaster. So Jack and I keep a very strict schedule, and basically we work in that mutual Google Doc to do deal and biz dev stuff in the mornings. We kind of block off 
8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Pacific to just focus on social media and biz dev opportunities. We take all of our calls ideally before 11 a.m. Pacific to make sure it's not interfering with the pod research. And then the whole second half of the day is all devoted to the pod research and then doing the actual content, actually doing the recording. Because also, Jack and I know, once you're in the zone, once you're recording, once you're on the mics, like you do not want that interrupted with a call with a business partner to chat about a contract. Yeah. Like we got to stay in the zone here so we can remember that like we were just having fun talking about Jack's sweater, and we don't want that like line of fun to like be forgotten in the rest of the pod. So we really segment out our biz dev stuff. That was Nick Martell and Jack Kramer from The Best one yet. We really hope you guys enjoyed this episode and this story about how they built their business. And remember, this is episode one of a two-part series with Nick and Jack, where we'll be answering their questions in episode two. So stay tuned for that. That's going to come out on Thursday. Now, if you made it to this part of the pod, hopefully that means you've been enjoying the show. And if you have, it'd be awesome if you could review the pod. That would be great. All right. We'll see you back here for the next episode of The Colin and Samir Show.